Most of you will be aware, if you especially if you worship with us regularly, that in these Sundays together we have been working through the New Testament book of Acts. And today we're coming to Acts chapter 16, and we are reading verses 6 through 10. In fact, it's verse 1 through 10, excuse me, uh, of Acts chapter 16. And Paul and Timothy and Silas have been visiting congregations that they established some time ago, and they get into a rather surprising situation. And so as we come to Acts chapter 16, follow the passage with me as we make our way through what is a remarkable passage of Scripture. Acts 16, beginning at verse 1. He came to Derbe and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was a Jewess and a believer, But his father was a Greek. The brothers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. And Paul wanted to take him along on the journey. And so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area. For they all knew his father was a Greek. And as they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. And so the churches were strengthened in their faith and grew daily in numbers. And Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. And when they came to the border with Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia. But the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. And so they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. And during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Amen. And we trust that God will bless to us this reading of his holy word. Back in either 2003 or 2004, I can't quite remember, Philip Yancey produced a very good book called What's So Amazing About Grace? And in that book, he records this incident. A few years ago, the Boston Globe published a story about an unusual wedding banquet. A couple had gone to the Hyatt Hotel in downtown Boston to plan their wedding. They were determined to have the very best food, china, flowers, and music. They both had expensive taste, and the bill reflected that. Many thousands of dollars. And half of it was due as a down payment. Everything was moving along smoothly until the wedding invitations went to go in the mail. And the groom announced that he couldn't go through with it. He just wasn't sure. Now... The heart and angry bride-to-be had to go back to the Hyatt to cancel the banquet, only to learn there was no way to get back the down payment. The contract was binding. There was only two options, to forfeit the down payment or to go ahead with a party. The bride was naturally outraged at this, but the more she thought about it, the clearer she was that she would in fact go ahead with a party. It was not, however, to be a wedding banquet, but instead just a great big blowout. Ten years before, this woman had been living in a homeless shelter, but she had managed to get back on her feet over time. 
And she had taken a good job and eventually made a great deal of money. Now she had the idea of throwing a big party for her old friends, the down and outs of Boston. And so, on June 1990, the Hyatt Hotel had a party the likes of which no one had quite seen before. The jilted bride changed the menu to boneless chicken in honor of the groom and sent invitations. She sent invitations to homeless shelters and rescue missions across the city. And so that summer evening, people accustomed to finding their meals in the trash bins of the city made their way through the grand lobby of the Hyatt Hotel to a meal of chicken cordon bleu. Black-tied waiters served with rags wrapped, served people with rags wrapped around them. Many had their bags of worldly goods with them, reminders of the hard life they were living. But for this night, they were treated like kings and queens, sipping champagne, eating chocolate wedding cake, and dancing into the night. Now, when you read that story, you immediately smile, because you know, or at least I can imagine, what that bride must have gone through. And then the moment of celebration with the folks who were living in homeless shelters around the city. My question this morning is this. What if it was you? What would you have done? Would you have had the blowout or simply forfeited the down payment? Or what do you do when your hopes and dreams come to nothing. And you had planned and prepared and prayed for a long time. And in your mind, you envisaged how your future would go. And then suddenly, it's no longer there. What about those of us who have been interviewed for a job with a company you've always wanted to work for, in a position you always thought you were capable of, And your background would allow you to fulfill that position. You come with the proper specialized education and expertise and experience. And you go through a series of pretty complex interviews. And then right at the last moment, the job is offered to someone else. Or what happens when you are thinking of downsizing selling your family home with all the memories of your children and grandchildren there, or perhaps you're at the opposite end and you're looking for a new family home with the requisite number of rooms and a good garden for children to play and can't wait to move into your new home with all of the facilities and a contract has been put. And it all looks good except at the last minute it falls through. And all of your plans and hopes and the fact you had your heart set on it and couldn't wait to move into that house, perfect location, and it comes to nothing. How do you respond? And eventually I suspect somewhere in your mind you're going to get to that quiet place where you ask, Lord, what on earth are you doing Why did you draw this to my attention in the first place? Why did you allow me to pray and plan for several weeks, almost two months, putting everything in place and envisaging what would happen and then suddenly, out of the blue, it all falls apart at the last minute. What on earth are you doing? 
Well, if you've ever been there, that's exactly the position the Apostle Paul and his colleagues find themselves in in Acts chapter 16. And as you read chapter 16, let's begin at verse 6. We read Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word. And here are circumstances they did not expect. At the end of the first five verses, we read that the Lord added disciples to their number daily. And they were going through a time of encouragement. They were strengthened and growing in their faith. And then suddenly, things don't work out. Now to give you a sense of where all of this is happening, please forgive me if I put it in its geographical context. Bottom right hand side, almost off the screen, you can see Jerusalem. Just above Jerusalem is Caesarea. And if you go to the sea in Caesarea and head immediately north through Pathos and Cyprus up to Derby, Can you see Derby and mainland, Asia Minor, and then Lystra and Iconium and go north again to the region of Galatia. Got it? And then northwest to Bithynia. That's the region Paul and his companions were going to. And let me... Zoom in a little. That will give you a better picture. There you are. Iconium, Galatia, Bithynia. That's where they were going. And you can imagine Paul and his companions planning and preparing for several weeks, thinking, what will our itinerary be? Which towns will we visit? Let's write ahead. Let them know we're coming. And all of the planning and preparation, of course, would be backed up with prayer. And you can imagine Paul and his colleagues each morning praying, Father, as we go into this mountainous region, keep us safe in our travels. May the churches we visit be encouraged by our visit. Help us to make a difference in their lives as we seek to equip them to live out their faith day by day by day. And as you come to verse 5 and read it, it is pretty obvious that they were fairly excited about going into this area. And then we discover this in verse 6. Notice exactly what the text says. The Holy Spirit had stopped them from preaching the word in the province of Asia. Now please understand what's happening here. This is not a well-known passage. It's not a passage we often turn to. But understand the significance of what Luke is telling us. It wasn't that one of them became ill for several weeks. It wasn't yet that the Apostle Paul was sick. It wasn't that someone had broken a leg and they were laid up in a local inn until such times as they felt better. It wasn't that they'd been delayed by inclement weather and they were simply postponing their visit. Notice what happens. The Holy Spirit had stopped them from preaching the word. My question this morning is this. What do we do when God reaches into the circumstances of our lives and brings to a halt what we had hoped for, prayed for, planned for, had our hearts set upon, and envisaged the rest of our lives, and suddenly comes to an end? 
talk about frustration, talk about naturally being disappointed. And it wasn't because of the circumstances that were beyond their control. It was the Spirit of God himself. And please notice this. When we get to verse 7, and when they came to Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. Please understand that. When things didn't open up in one direction, they thought, well, we'll try again. And notice at the end of, to the far right of the screen in that top line, when they came to Mysia, they tried Ever been in a situation where you're longing for something to come to pass? And praying and trusting and hoping? And things don't work out? You think, okay, let's try something else. Ever tried that? We sometimes find ourselves being tempted to say, okay, didn't work out. Let's be a little creative. Let's think of another way. Let's show a little initiative. Let's demonstrate leadership skills here. Let's try something else. And you try and try and try and try, and it only leads to more frustration and mystery. And you begin to really pray and say, Lord, what on earth are you doing? Remember the old musical Fiddler on the Roof? When the fiddler said, would it upset some vast eternal plan if I was a wealthy man? Ever prayed that and said, Lord, would it really, would it really interfere with your great redemptive purposes if I had this job or if we took over that house? Ever been there? Lord, what are you doing And moments like that often drive us to our knees to wrestle with God in prayer and say, Father, what am I missing here? What can I not see? What is going on here that I'm unaware of? And there are moments when God intentionally, deliberately does that. Other times he allows circumstances into our life and then he works in and through them. But notice again, the first time we read, the Holy Spirit kept them from preaching the word there. And then we discover when they came to Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia. And it comes again twice in quick succession, verse 6 and again in verse 7, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. And when God works... In that clear, unambiguous fashion. That sometimes is hard to deal with, is it not? Because your hopes, your dreams, your desires, your passions have not come to pass. And there are moments in our lives, and allow me to be as gentle as I possibly can this morning, when God will simply say to us, No. Because he has purpose and plans that are sometimes far greater than we can imagine. And that's certainly the case right here. And when you find yourself up against God like that, and he's refusing to answer your prayer, what is he doing? 
Of course he's frustrating you. Of course he's making you dependent. And please hear this. Leadership in a spiritual sense is not always about taking the initiative. It's not always about being creative. It's not always about trying something else. Spiritual leadership is often trust and prayer and patience and perseverance and waiting. In fact, the Apostle Paul says in the book of Galatians, he describes spiritual leadership like this. Walking in step with the Spirit of God. Because here, in Acts 16, God closes the door and does so very firmly. And sometimes, what we believe is God's rejection often turns out to be his redirection. And when he works in such a clear and plain manner, it's not so much rejection, but he redirects you into the path of his purpose and will. Because he understands and knows and can see what we cannot. And I imagine Paul would be very frustrated in the midst of this, along with his colleagues saying, but what about our plans? We were supposed to go here and go there. And what on earth is God doing? Father, what are you playing at? Why would your Holy Spirit, why would the Spirit of Jesus not allow us to do exactly this? What on earth is going on here? Well, in fact, if I can pull up my map again, and I hadn't intended to do this, so please bear with me, but look at the area up in the north. You have Bithynia, Galatia, and west of Bithynia, can you see Troas? It's highlighted there with a green line going through it. And if you follow the direction of Troas, go west again to Philippi and Neapolis, and that's the region of Macedonia, and that's Greece. And when Paul, when God closed one door, he opened another. And for the first time in all of history, the gospel breaks into Europe in an unprecedented fashion. And God knew exactly what he was doing. And there are moments when we get frustrated because he doesn't open up all that we had hoped and envisaged and prayed for. But in fact... He had something larger and greater in mind. And it's hard at times, isn't it, to discern the Spirit of God at work. Remember the story from the Boston Globe a few minutes ago? I suspect that weekend of our wedding, the bride would have been upset and anxious and grieving over what might have been, and yet she had this wonderful blowout, able to share with what society often thinks of folks on the margins of society. What a loving and gracious thing to do. But please remember this. When Monday morning came after the Saturday evening blowout, and there were no more texts and no more emails and no more letters, and she was left on her own with her heart and her disappointment, where does she go from there? Where do we go from there? But allow me to suggest this. And again, let me be as gentle as I can. 
when we are praying and preparing and envisaging our future, please remember this. God is not obliged to go along with our plans. He's not. We, in turn, are obliged to go along with His. Because Scripture teaches the plans and gifts and goodness of God are perfect in every way. And at times that's hard for us to understand, especially when we're hurting, especially when we're disappointed, especially when we can see no obvious reason for it. We pray, what on earth is God doing? Why would He allow this? But in the midst of those circumstances, He often does this. In driving us to our knees, He brings to us maturity and growth in a manner we could not previously have imagined. Several years ago, I had a visit to the dentist, and it was quite a visit. It was a four-hour surgery. And when I went back to see the dentist a week later, he said to me, Richard, it's going to be two or three months before we can take this to the next stage because we need the new tissue to mature and grow. When you're wounded and hurting, we inevitably focus on what the issue is. But God is not focused on the issue. He knows exactly what he's going to do. He's focused on us. He's asking, are they maturing? Are they persevering? Are they being faithful? As he strips away everything that we have been dependent on previously. As he moves us to that place of dependency and trust and prayer. He matures us. Enables us to grow as he fashions and shapes us. Into individuals after his own heart. And that's exactly what happened to Paul and his colleagues. God was maturing them. He was enabling them to persevere and to pray and show patience and maturity in their faith. That's exactly what was going on here. And please understand, and let me begin to wrap things up by saying this. Disappointment, grief, and pain changes us. The pain fashions us into someone who understands more deeply, appreciates more quickly, cries more easily, hopes more desperately, and loves more openly. When God is at work at such a level, there is a sense Amidst our frustration and disappointment, when we say, Father, help me to see what you are doing. Allow me, please, to grow and mature in the midst of unanswered prayer, frustration, disappointment. Allow me to see you in the midst of all that is taking place. And above all, allow me to mature and grow my relationship with you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this passage of Scripture this morning. We know that when we find ourselves in a position that is disappointing and uncertain, 
All we want you to do is to take away the heart. And yet you're often focused on so much more. You're focused on our maturity and our relationship with you. Grant to each one of us this morning who are struggling with indecision and cannot understand what you are doing, sensitize our soul to all that you have in store for us. Enable us to re-engage with your best plan for us. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.